We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. And away we go. Episode 123 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, August 16th, 2021, the day after one of the worst baseball weekends in this area's history. The Nationals swept in a three-game series by the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park and also announcing that Joe Ross may need a second Tommy John surgery. Nats now have lost seven straight. The Orioles swept in a three-game series at the Boston Red Sox by a combined score of 35. The O's now have lost 11 straight. Do you remember in 2014 when the Nats won the National League East and the O's won the American League East and we had each team clinching its division title on the same night. Uh, That season feels like about 50 years ago right now. I will talk Nationals and Orioles later in the show. But hello and welcome, and thank goodness for the WFT. Yes, thank goodness for the team currently known as the Washington football team. At least right now, a lot of good vibes with the Washington football team. Did you see what came out on Sunday night? Chase Young. He made NFL Network's top 100 list for the top 100 players 
in the NFL. Chase on Sunday night coming in at number 61 in the top 100. Now, honestly, I don't really care about NFL Network's top 100 list. It's voted on by players. I have my doubts about how seriously players take this list, but it is good to see Chase Young. It is good to see the Predator make the list. He deserves it. Uh, Also, in terms of good vibes for the Washington football team, good news on Sunday. Kyle Allen and Curtis Samuel practiced. Allen had not fully practiced in more than two weeks. Samuel had not practiced at all so far in training camp, but Washington on Sunday activated Samuel off the active, physically unable to perform list. So Washington's biggest offensive free agent acquisition from a contract standpoint anyway, at last practiced in training camp this year off dealing with a groin injury and also a stint on the reserve COVID-19 list. It actually was a busy Sunday for Washington. It activated Samuel, released three players, and claimed a tight end off waivers from the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll talk about all of that next segment. I also have for you a proper Dustin Hopkins conversation. You know, this might be the biggest topic with the Washington football team right now. The kicker, Dustin Hopkins, the man known as D-Hop. Uh, what to do about D-Hop? of his inconsistency over the years, including him going 0 for 2 on field goal attempts in Washington's preseason opening 22-13 loss at the New England Patriots on Thursday night. I did a deep dive on how Hopkins compares to the rest of the NFL over his time with Washington in terms of field goals. The results are telling. I will present those results to you and the latest from Ron Rivera on the Dustin Hopkins situation coming up in just a bit. You know, when Larry Michael called Washington games on the radio, he had a catchphrase for when Hopkins made a field goal. The catchphrase was, Hopkins delivers. Hopkins delivers. Yes, Hopkins delivers. Well, we need Hopkins to deliver on a more frequent basis. Also, I have plenty of leftover items to get into from Washington's preseason opener, including good stuff from Don Ron on a bunch of rookies, Jamin Davis, Samuel Cosme, and Samis Reyes. Did you hear what Ron said on Friday about Reyes? Maybe the most stunning compliment that Ron has given to any player in Ron's time as Washington head coach. I will talk Wizards as well as General Manager Tommy Shepard spoke on Friday and confirmed something about the trading away of Russell Westbrook that every Wizards fan should be aware of. This is a big time of year. Football season is ramping up. There's a lot going on with the Washington football team. We go in-depth on the Washington football team on every installment of the Al Galdi podcast. If you don't already subscribe to the pod, please consider doing so. Subscribing costs you nothing and helps out the podcast a lot. And if you haven't yet given the podcast a five-star rating and or haven't yet written like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast, please consider doing so. Those things cost you nothing. They take less than a minute to do and they help us out a lot. And I thank you for doing those things. Uh, Also, a salute to the skies in honor of former Washington linebacker Rich Malott, who we on Sunday night learned had died at the age of 64. Uh, Not sure how, but Rich Malott was a very good player. He played for Washington for his entire NFL career, 1979 to 1987, was a part of two Super Bowl champions, the 1982 and 87 teams, also was a part of the 1983 NFC champion team. He was taken in the seventh round 
of the 1979 NFL Draft out of Penn State. One of so many terrific picks by the greatest general manager in D.C. sports history, Bobby Bethard. And just another example of how you can find really good players all over the place in an NFL draft. But rest in peace to Rich Mallott. I always enjoy hearing from you. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Mike, writes Mike. It is early on Mac Jones to be saying this, but I am going to say it anyway. Washington made a mistake not trading up to 13 or 14 to take him. New England wasn't going anywhere, and the price wouldn't have been that high. No evidence they even tried. So this is the thing with Mac Jones, who did look good against Washington in that preseason opener on Thursday night. This is the thing with Justin Fields. Uh, Washington very clearly decided that neither guy was worth trading up for to take in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. And that's fine if Washington believed that, but Washington better be right about that. Washington had the number 19 pick. Chicago traded up to number 11 to take fields. New England took Jones at 15. Washington trading up to either spot to take either guy was reasonable. Now, how doable either trade-up would have been is debatable. The Bears traded with the Giants for that number 11 pick. Would New York, of course, an NFC East rival, have been willing to do a deal with Washington so that it could take a potential franchise quarterback? Maybe, but you can't be sure about that. And then with the Patriots, maybe they just really wanted Jones and wouldn't have been willing to do a deal, or maybe trading up in front of the Pats wasn't as feasible as we think. So there are some things that we're not sure of, but Mike, I do agree with you in general. Like this is something to track moving forward. How does Fields do? How does Jones do? And if either guy kills it and Washington could have traded up for either guy and didn't, then that is a knock on Washington. No question about that, because it does seem pretty apparent that Washington really wasn't that interested in trading up for either guy. And we'll see if Washington is proven right for having felt that way. Did Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, and Chris Polian accurately evaluate the quarterbacks realistically available to Washington in the 2021 draft? We spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Washington potentially drafting a quarterback, talking about the quarterbacks available in the 2021 NFL draft. And what is undeniable to me is that Washington didn't really love any of the quarterbacks realistically available to Washington in the 2021 draft. Accurate evaluation. That's what this is about. And only time will tell in that regard. Well, when it comes to accurately evaluating your skin health, ain't nobody better than Dr. George Verghese. Dr. George Verghese, he is the medical director for the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. He is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focuses on medical dermatology and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you're having an issue with your skin, you absolutely want to contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Let them know that Al Galdi sent you. But also from Dr. Verghese in the Institute is something very special and cutting edge, superficial radiation therapy 
or SRT. So SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. If you or someone you know is dealing with skin cancer, first of all, we hope that you or that someone you know is doing well. But second of all, you want to be aware of this. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. And Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area. And SRT is covered by most insurances. There are a lot of people who aren't aware of SRT. Be aware of it and understand it is a potential option. To find out more, call Dr. Verghese and the Institute at 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again is 301-396-3401 or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. All right, so the Washington football team on Sunday was back practicing at training camp at the team facility in Ashburn. First true practice for the team since last Tuesday of having had the preseason opening 22-13 loss at the New England Patriots last Thursday night, and there were multiple significant developments for Washington on Sunday. One, the returns of two key guys, Kyle Allen and Curtis Samuel. So Kyle Allen fully practiced on Sunday for the first time since July 31st. Uh, That was the day on which he aggravated his surgically repaired left ankle at Washington's final 2021 training camp practice in Richmond. So he ends up going more than two weeks without fully practicing Now, Sunday's practice was not a good practice for the quarterbacks. Uh, There were a lot of interceptions and a lot of pass deflections. It certainly seems like an uphill climb for Kyle Allen to supplant Taylor Heineke as Washington's number two quarterback, especially with Heineke having played well in that preseason opening loss at the Pats. But Heineke did have a shaky practice on Sunday. This was Ron Rivera at his post-training camp practice press conference on Sunday on the defense doing so well during Sunday's practice. Well, you know, partner is almost situational. You know, when, when the ball, you know the ball's being thrown and you're not having to play the run constantly. Um, so the, the, the drill will tend to favor the defensive guys. When you have to play the run uh, a little bit more truer, a little more honest, it changes a little bit. But um, having said that, that's still good for the quarterbacks, even though the, the defense does have a little bit of a tip. Uh, you know, I don't stress over that. As long as they're making right decisions and they're going in the right direction, uh, that's a plus for us. Yeah, and that's the thing. It is so tempting to go bunkers over all the play-by-play that we receive from these Washington football team training camp practices. I mean, if you follow the people who cover the Washington football team, those people are tweeting incessantly about who does what on like every play at Washington football team practice. And that's great, right? You want that content, but it is important to remember the circumstances under which guys are doing things. And so there are a lot of factors that go into, well, on this day, the defense looked great versus on that day, the quarterbacks look great. You have to look at why, okay? And of course, there's the overall factor of 
The defense, in so many instances, knows what is coming because the defense is playing against the same offense every day, and the defense is well aware of the things that the offense likes to do. But yeah, on the surface, Sunday's practice, not a great practice for Washington quarterbacks. Also on Sunday, Curtis Samuel finally practiced. So the Curtis Samuel timeline at Washington football team training camp has been as follows. Washington on July 27th, the first day of Washington football team training camp this year, placed Samuel on the active, physically unable to perform list due to a groin injury that had kept him from practicing during Washington's mandatory minicamp back in June. Then Washington on July 29th put Samuel on the reserve COVID-19 list. Washington last Monday, August 9th, removed Samuel from the reserve COVID-19 list and placed him back on the active, physically unable to perform list due to his groin injury. And then Washington on Sunday activated Samuel from the active, physically unable to perform list. It gets a little confusing, but the point is Chris Samuel now is no longer on any type of list and was out there practicing for the Washington football team on Sunday for the first time at 2021 Washington football team training camp. Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Sunday on a plan to ramp up Curtis Samuel. Is continue to work on the on the side until he feels comfortable and ready to roll. Um, as soon as RV gives us the all ready to go, um, and then we'll get him going. You know he'll be out in the walkthroughs. He'll he'll get a chance to see those things, work with those you know work with the guys a little bit there. But uh, you know just a matter of time. What about knowing when Curtis Samuel is truly good to go? More from Ron. You'll see his his, his play speed is special. You'll see it. It's it's. it's very similar to the way Terry plays. Very similar to the way Diami runs. It's 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 different, and and you'll see it. Um, one thing I love about Curtis is he's a high energy player, and and it spreads. He's infectious to his teammates, and you'll 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 feel those things when you watch him. Yes, I am looking forward to feeling those things. We need to feel those things. But you heard Ron reference Curtis Samuel's speed. That speed is special. Curtis Samuel at the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-1-40. For comparison's sake, Deshaun Jackson at the 2008 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-5-40. Samuel is faster than Deshaun. Terry McLaurin at the 2019 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-5-40. So Samuel is faster than Terry. There's a lot to like about Curtis Samuel. He's going into just his age 25 season. The Carolina Panthers took Samuel in the second round of the 2017 NFL draft out of Ohio State. So many on the Washington football team coaching staff are very familiar with Curtis Samuel. Ron Rivera, offensive coordinator Scott Turner, senior offensive assistant Jim Hostler. Uh, Samuel knows Terry McLaurin. They were teammates at Ohio State. We're actually part of the same Buckeyes 2014 recruiting class. Samuel is coming off the best season of his career. He, in the 2020 regular season, had 77 receptions for 851 yards and three touchdowns on 97 targets over 15 games. And Curtis Samuel offers, yes, position flex. Position flex. Yes, position flex. Curtis Samuel, over his first four NFL regular seasons, 2017 through 2020, a total of 72 carries for 478 yards, 6.64 yards per carry and five touchdowns. Curtis Samuel, in fact, was a running back at Ohio State. So it's no wonder that Ron Rivera adores Curtis Samuel because we know how much Ron Rivera adores position flex. That's Ron's thing, just like commission flex is the thing for one of the great friends of the Al Galdi podcast, John Granlin, a.k.a. John G. of Real Broker. What is commission flex, you ask? Well, it's very simple. Flexible commission rates. 
When it comes to selling your home, don't just accept some flat commission that you have to pay to the real estate agent. Not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you have to pay the same fees? This doesn't make sense. This has never made sense. And so John Grandland is changing the game. If you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home and you want to bounce some things off someone, contact John Grandland, ask him about his commission flex and see what he can do for you. Commission flex. It's very simple. John has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free. Some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Grandlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. Do yourself a favor and call John Grandlin. It's a phone call that literally could save you tens of thousands of dollars, even make you tens of thousands of dollars. You owe it to yourself. You've worked hard for your home. Give John Grandlin a call and just see what he can do for you. That phone number is 703-537-6747. When you call him, make sure you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask him about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, The Commission Flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747. John's a great guy, terrific sense of humor, big Washington football team fan, big Nationals fan, but most importantly, he understands the DMV real estate market. He knows what works, what doesn't. He knows what's necessary and what isn't necessary. You can also check him out online at johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And never forget, he is the master of commission flex. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like position flex. Uh, Also on Sunday for the Washington football team at training camp, was the team making its first batch of significant cuts at this year's training camp? You never quite know when the first batch of significant cuts will take place. Well, the first batch of significant cuts took place On Sunday, Washington released three players, receiver Kelvin Harmon, running back Lamar Miller, and corner Chris Miller. Obviously, the name that stands out the most is Harmon. So Kelvin Harmon spent the entire 2020 season on Washington's reserve non-football injury list. He was placed on that last September 5th. Harmon suffered a torn right ACL and torn right LCL while working out in the 2020 offseason about a month before the start of 2020 Washington football team training camp. That was a killer. When that news broke last summer, Kelvin Harmon having suffered this badly injured knee, and it turns out it was both a torn ACL and LCL in the right knee. That was brutal. Ron Rivera at his post-training camp practice press conference on Sunday was asked whether Harmon being released had more to do with his knee or with Washington's depth at receiver. It speaks to the depth of the room. It's a very good room. And Kelvin's going to get opportunities. Um, you know, but we have a very good room right now. And, you know, some of the decisions we made today were based on giving guys an opportunity out there right now. 
Yeah, and it is true. Washington has an apparent depth at receiver, the likes of which Washington has not had in a while. Now, we'll see what these guys end up being, right? But when you think about Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Cam Sims, Adam Humphreys, Deyami Brown, Antonio Gandy-Golden, and others, you've got some real options at receiver where you haven't had uh, that many options in recent seasons. Like the last time Washington was truly loaded at receiver was 2016 when you had Pierre Garcon, Deshaun Jackson, and Jamison Crowder. But I'm not sure that you had the depth on that team that you potentially have on this year's team. Again, it's all theoretical. Like we don't know with a lot of these guys what they'll end up being this coming season, but clearly there are skills, clearly there is talent, and clearly there is the potential for this to prove to be an ultra deep Washington football team receiving core. So yeah, I mean, it never felt likely that Kelvin Harmon would make the season opening roster, but you didn't know. I mean, Kelvin Harmon did come on well in his 2019 rookie season. So Washington took Harmon in the sixth round of the 2019 NFL draft out of NC State. And he, over the last seven games of the 2019 regular season, had 22 receptions for 290 yards on 35 targets. Harmon also was a very good blocker as a rookie in 2019. But, you know, you think about it, that's the thing. Kelvin Harmon was drafted in 2019. Ron Rivera took over in January 2020. Kelvin Harmon was not drafted by Ron. And while I don't think that necessarily dooms you under Ron, it is something not working in your favor, right? If you were drafted under Bruce Allen, uh, I don't think that's a check in the good column for you under Ron Rivera, right? Ron has his guys, and it doesn't mean that he hates you if you weren't brought to the organization by Ron, but I think that does mean that you maybe have more of an uphill climb than someone who was handpicked by Ron. Harmon was not, and now he's been released and hopefully catches on somewhere else. Uh, When it comes to Lamar Miller, so the Lamar Miller saga with the Washington football team is interesting to me. Washington re-signed Lamar Miller early this offseason. We had reports on March 17th that Lamar Miller, who was an unrestricted free agent, had agreed to re-sign with Washington. The re-signing was officially announced by Washington on March 29th. So Lamar Miller caught the touchdown pass from Steven Montez late in the fourth quarter of the preseason opening loss at the Patriots last Thursday night. This coming season was to be Miller's age 30 season. Washington initially signed Lamar Miller last December 17th to its active roster from the Chicago Bears practice squad, but he ended up being inactive for Washington's final three regular season games and the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard round. So Washington signed Miller last December, never actually made him active for a game, and then Miller opted to re-sign with Washington this past March. That just struck me as odd. I was like, wow, Washington didn't even see fit to make this guy active last season, and yet he agrees to re-sign with Washington relatively quickly. Uh, and now he's gone. And then Chris Miller. So Washington got him off waivers from the Arizona Cardinals on May 18th. Uh, Chris Miller, that name had come up recently. Washington placed Miller on the reserve COVID-19 list on July 29th, but activated him off that list on August 3rd. And then another move by Washington on Sunday, Washington claimed tight end Caleb Wilson off waivers from the Philadelphia Eagles. This is notable because Ron at his press conference on Sunday did reveal that Tameric Hemingway was in concussion protocol. Also with Hemingway, remember, he struggled when it came to his blocking in that preseason opening loss at the Pats. But if the name Caleb Wilson sounds familiar to you, it should. Caleb Wilson has been with Washington before. So he was taken by the Arizona Cardinals in the seventh round of the 2019 NFL Draft out of UCLA. Washington in December 2019 actually signed Wilson off the Cardinals practice squad, uh, but waived him last August. This coming season would be Wilson's age 25 season.
All right, so a big topic regarding the Washington football team off its preseason opening 22-13 loss at the New England Patriots last Thursday night remains Dustin Hopkins. He was a big conversational point on Washington football team Twitter over the weekend. Hopkins at the Pats, 0 for 2 on field goal attempts. Hopkins delivers. No, Hopkins did not deliver last Thursday night. He missed a first quarter 40-yard field goal attempt and a third quarter 50-yard field goal attempt. He was wide left on both tries and he was way wide left on that missed 50-yard field goal attempt. Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference last Thursday night said that, quote, there's not a concern, end quote, about Hopkins. This was Ron at his day after the game press conference on Friday on what stood out to him about Hopkins' misses and going back and breaking down the game. Well, it's not necessarily simple when he misses. There, there's more to it. And, and again, we've got to look at the whole operation. Um, and it's about having a rhythm and timing between the, uh, between the snapper, the holder, and the kicker. You know, uh, part of it is the trigger. You know, when, 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 when the holder, you know, triggers for the ball and the ball snapped, uh, you know, that operation is key. And then the placement. And as you look at it, you get a chance, take a look at the timing. And, and, and you can tell right now they don't have the rhythm. Uh, their timing is off. And it's something we got to continue to work with, continue to work with, continue to work with. Um, and we're kind of, you know, we're looking at it really closely right now and, and talking with Nate. And uh, we'll work it. We'll continue to get it uh, going. And, 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 again, that's what the preseason is for so that we can, you know, work and develop and get the rhythm and get the timing down. We have, you know, a couple more games left to go, obviously. And by the time we finish up, we want to make sure that's uh, that's going well for us. All right, so Ron mentions the whole operation, says that the rhythm and timing are off. Hopkins has been Washington's kicker for years. Tress Way has been Washington's holder for years. The new part of the operation is the long snapper, the cheese man, Cameron Cheeseman, on whom Washington spent a 2021 six-round draft pick, which Washington traded for. Never forget that. Uh, Ron on Friday on how the cheese man did at the Pats. Yeah, I thought he I thought he snapped the ball pretty well. Again, it's 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 working the timing and the rhythm uh, between the three of them. And uh, you know, he 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 he's, he shoots a hard ball back there. He really does. And uh, you know, it's a little bit about getting that feel a little bit better between he and uh, he and Tress. So we'll uh, we'll continue to work it. All right. So going back to Dustin Hopkins, I was looking at this on Saturday and I tweeted this out. You can follow me on Twitter at Al Galdi. Even if you're not on Twitter, you can read my tweets by going to twitter.com slash Al Galdi. This is not a perfect way of doing what I'm about to do because what I'm about to do doesn't take into account kicking indoors versus kicking outdoors. And that is a big thing you need to consider when you're evaluating kickers, kicking indoors versus kicking outdoors. But Here is how Dustin Hopkins compares to two key league averages over his six seasons with Washington, 2015 through 2020. Washington originally signed Dustin Hopkins in September 2015 as the corresponding roster move to cutting fellow kicker Kai Forbath, a.k.a. Cobra Kai, uh, just days after the 17-10 loss to the Miami Dolphins at FedEx Field in week one of the 2015 season. So overall NFL accuracy on field goals over the last six regular seasons, 2015 through 2020, is 85.22%, okay? So if you just add up every field goal attempted over the last six regular seasons, the overall accuracy 
is 85.22%. Hopkins overall accuracy on field goals with Washington from the 2015 through 2020 regular seasons is 83.89%. League average, 85.22%. Hopkins, 83.89%. Below league average. What about the most difficult field goals? Those of at least 40 yards. Overall NFL accuracy on field goals of at least 40 yards over the last six regular seasons is 75.93%. Hopkins overall accuracy on field goals of at least 40 yards over the last six regular seasons is 72.09%. Overall league average, 75.93%. Hopkins, 72.09%. Again, below league average. Hopkins delivers. No, Hopkins does not deliver. I'm not saying that Washington has to cut Dustin Hopkins. What I am saying are three things. A, he overall has been a below league average kicker in terms of field goals over his six seasons with Washington. If you just look at things in a basic way, and again, I concede that I'm doing this in a basic way. B, while yes, you can do worse than Dustin Hopkins, you also can do better. And I readily admit that Washington needs to be careful with this. Don't just cut Dustin Hopkins to cut him. Cut him because you feel like you found someone appreciably better. But the notion that he's so hard to replace is just wrong. And C, Washington's extreme loyalty to Hopkins is just odd. It would be one thing if he had been really good over these last six seasons. He has not been. I just outlined the case. Uh, The loyalty to him is just bizarre to me. This is a loyalty now that stretches over multiple coaching staffs. He is rarely challenged. He rarely has to compete for his job. Why? Again, I'm not saying that Washington absolutely has to cut Dustin Hopkins. He was good down the stretch last regular season. He was clutch in Washington's win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 13 of last season. But why is there no competition for him this training camp? Ron Rivera preaches competition constantly. Where is the competition at kicker? I don't get it. To that point, Ron, at his post-training camp practice press conference on Sunday, got asked about not having brought in any competition for Hopkins in training camp. Well, he's our kicker. And for right now, we're going to continue to work it. We've got to continue to work on the timing and the rhythm. Um, It is going to be a little bit different. Different snapper, has a little bit more velocity, and um, a little bit of a challenge. But we've got a few weeks. That's why you have training camp, to get those things right. All right. And did you hear the sirens in the background while Ron was speaking? Uh, That was appropriate, was it not? Those were the sirens of concern. The sirens of, here we go again with old D-Hop. Look, Dustin Hopkins in 2020 did deal with the right groin injury, so perhaps that does explain his struggles last regular season, but then again, maybe not, and the struggles were pronounced. Dustin Hopkins missed one kick, a field goal attempt, or an extra point attempt in seven of Washington's first 10 games in the 2020 season. Now, like I said, Dustin Hopkins did get better as the season went on, Hopkins over Washington's first 10 games last regular season went just 14-20 on field goals. Hopkins over Washington's final six games last regular season went 13-14 
on field goals. That's significant. We shouldn't just ignore that. But him going 0 for 2 in that preseason opening loss at the Patriots on Thursday night was a flashing neon sign of a reminder of how inconsistent he has been overall in his tenure with Washington. And like I said, if you just compare his basic numbers with those of the entire NFL during his time with Washington, he's been a below league average kicker in terms of field goal accuracy. Dustin Hopkins is great on kickoffs. Dustin Hopkins seems to be a good guy. He must be a great guy. How he has lasted this long with this team without barely having to compete for his job is mind-blowing to me. But I think if you're being honest about this and you're Ron Rivera, you should be at least saying to yourself, hmm, yeah, we can do worse than Dustin Hopkins, but we also can do better. And why aren't we more open to trying to do better? But it sure seems like it's going to take a lot for him to lose his job. And so if he's going to be Washington's kicker again this coming season, what would be his seventh season as Washington's kicker? I mean, how about that? How many kickers last with the same team seven consecutive seasons? Uh, Let's just hope that we see more of the good Dustin Hopkins than the bad. You know, I mentioned that win at the Steelers last season. Hopkins was great in that game. Three for three on field goals, all of which were lengthy. A 49-yarder with one second left in the second quarter. A 45-yarder with 204 left in the fourth quarter. And a 45-yarder with 17 seconds left in the fourth quarter. That's the Dustin Hopkins who we need to see. Hopkins delivers. (laughs) Exactly. More, more on the Washington football team after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. 
Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. We continue with the Washington football team conversation right now off the preseason opening 22-13 loss at the New England Patriots last Thursday night. So something that I did not even make mention of on Friday's show, our postgame pod, episode 122, was Washington seemingly having come out of the game with no major injuries. And I didn't bring that up on purpose because what happens so often in football is that you think that a team came out of a game with no major injuries, and then you find out the day after the game that major injury did occur. So especially with how Washington is with injuries under Ron Rivera, that is to say, Washington doesn't reveal much about injuries under Ron Rivera. You just have to wait and see. Well, sure enough, it does appear as if Washington came out of its preseason opening loss at the Pats without having incurred any major injuries. Now, Ron at his post-training camp practice press conference on Sunday did reveal that Tameric Hemingway was in concussion protocol, but that seems to be about it in terms of significant injuries from the preseason opening loss at the Pats. This was Ron at his day after the game press conference on Friday on whether Washington did come out of the game without any major injuries. Yes, for the most part, we did. We, we came out of it pretty doggone well. Um, I have not sat down with RV since last night. When I sat down with him, he told me, as of right now, Coach, we are doing really well. So I will check in with him after I talk to you guys. That way I don't have to really answer this question because I won't know the answer to it. Um, but I'll find out. Um, but he was very optimistic after the game. He really was. So uh, we'll see how everybody is. Uh, and if anything major changes, we'll let you guys know. But uh, from what I understand, uh, there really weren't. And RV, as many of you listening know, and we heard RV mentioned earlier by Ron, is Ryan Vermillion. He is Washington's director of sports medicine and head athletic trainer. Now, I want to play for you the follow-up exchange with Ron. So Ron's press conference on Friday was supposed to take place at 11 a.m., ended up then being rescheduled for 11.30 a.m., question from Washington football team insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. Ron, when the presser got moved back, we thought it was so you could talk to RV and then give us the update. But I, oh, that ain't happening, guys. Trust me. It's um, the le- the less I know about injuries, the the less you'll get to know. Yeah, and that is how Ron and the Washington football team now are with injuries. The approach has become near Bella Chicken. Uh, you just don't get much on injuries. And as a fan of the team, I'm fine with that. Now, as someone who talks about the team, I'd like to know more about injuries. But as a fan of the team. Whatever you have to do to gain a competitive advantage, you do it. All right, so Rod last week said that an actual game would reveal things about players. When the lights turn on, who shows up and shows out versus who falls on his face, who flops? Uh, Ron on Friday was asked if Washington's first actual game, albeit a preseason game, revealed things about any specific players. You know, it was interesting. It's one of the things that took a little bit to progress throughout the game, but, but then I saw uh, with Steven Montez. And it's interesting because we were on the sideline talking about it. And when we were going hurry up, when we were going no huddle, and it really wasn't a two-minute drill when, he, when they scored the touchdown as much as it was just, you know, up-tempo, he really seemed to just relax and feel much more at home. So it was something we talked about on the sideline, myself and, and Scott and, 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 and Kenny Zampisi that, uh, you know, maybe that's the thing that we need to look at for him. 
Um, that was that was pretty cool. Um, you know, watching uh, Samus Reyes, it wasn't too big for him. You know, uh, that was good to see. David Bada is uh, you know our international, our other international player. It wasn't too big for him, so that was good to see. Guys that got their first real opportunities just kind of stepped up to the plate. Um, I didn't think it was it was too big for um, for uh, for for uh, Jamin. I didn't think it was too big for Sam. I didn't think it was too big for 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 Benjamin, um, and, or um, John Bates for that matter. It just they seemed to really just take it in stride. So that was really cool to see. It really was. So um, I, th- I think we got to look at the guys uh, the way I hope we were. Uh, I was pretty pleased with it. It, it really it was a good start. It, it is, and and now we've got to build on it. We can't take a step backwards with those young guys. We've got to keep going forward, and uh, and. And, you know, and I, and I don't want to forget him either, but uh, I thought Jared Patterson did a nice job. Dax Milnes, uh was, was really solid. Uh, I think the two young defensive ends, uh, both BK and Shaka, you know, got their opportunities and, and rose to it as well. All right, so a lot of names there, but it's notable that Ron started his answer by singling out Steven Montez. Steven Montez played for the entire second half of Washington's preseason opening loss at the Pats. He went 17-24 for 108 yards, a touchdown and an interception, took one sack. He led an impressive touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. 15 plays, 92 yards, resulted in his late fourth quarter first and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Lamar Miller off Montez running to his right, patiently waiting, and then finding Miller near the back right corner of the end zone. Uh, The play didn't seem to do Lamar Miller any favors when it came to making the Washington football team, but that was a nice play by Steven Montez on a nice drive quarterbacked by Montez. Montez received the fifth best grade for pro football focus of any Washington offensive player in the game at 77.3. Also coming up in Ron's answer was Samis Reyes, the converted basketball player, the athletic freak, the slaying Chilean, as our friend Burgundy Blog came up with. Reyes in that preseason opening loss at the Pats. Two receptions for 25 yards on three targets in his first football game on any meaningful level. Like, that needs to be understood. Samis Reyes, what he did at the Pats last Thursday night, that came in the guy's first meaningful football game ever. He did not play college football. He did not play high school football. He's from Chile. He played college basketball at Tulane, and then he took up playing football, and now he's trying to make the Washington football team, and Reyes did what he did last Thursday night of having not practiced for multiple days at training camp due to a knee issue. Now, he had since come back to practice prior to the preseason game, but the point is he may well not have been at 100% last Thursday night, and he still did what he did. You know, that drive that resulted in Montez's fourth quarter touchdown pass to Lamar Miller, that drive included Montez having a first and 10, 21-yard shotgun completion to Reyes. Take a listen to this. Ron, on Friday, on Reyes. Oh, I think he's developing very well. He really is. Um, it was a little, a little unfortunate. You know, he, uh, he had the, the, the sore leg, um, missed a few days. But, you know, he's back. He's been working. Coach Pete's been on him, um, pushing him, and and uh, we saw the results yesterday of his what he what he can grow into. Um, he blocked well. Really liked um, him in certain situations blocking. Um, he might be our most physical tight end. He might be. I'm, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but some of the things that I saw really kind of pointed to that. Um, I, uh, I 
he, I'd like to see him catch the ball a little bit cleaner. Um, you know, but uh, again, those were his first two catches in the NFL. And, um, it was, um, it was really cool. It really was. It was, um, it was a lot of fun to watch, uh, you know, Sam Mosqueda's opportunity and, 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 and make the best of it. Um, uh, he, he's, he, he did some nice things. He really did. So how about that praise from Ron Rivera for Samis Reyes? Ron saying that Reyes, quote, blocked well, end quote, and quote, might be our most physical tight end, end quote. Although Ron did say that he didn't want to get too far ahead of himself. But what Ron said is especially notable, not just because Reyes just started playing the sport of football, but because the reputation of basketball players turned tight ends is that they're skilled, but they're also not very good blockers. They're not very physical. They're not very tough. They, in fact, can be soft. Uh, Jimmy Graham has had a reputation along these lines. Let's be honest. Jordan Reed had that reputation for at least a little while. Reyes, after just one game per Ron Rivera, may be Washington's most physical tight end. Now, that to me is Ron sending a message to his other tight ends. I'm not saying that Ron is completely lying. Like, I'm sure that Ron has been impressed by the physicality of Samis Reyes to at least some extent, but I think that's Ron challenging his other tight ends to be better blockers. Maybe Ron wasn't pleased overall with the tight end blocking last Thursday night. And so he's sending a message to say Logan Thomas and John Bates and Tameric Hemingway and others of C. This former basketball player who had never played a game of football at any meaningful level in his life, he already may be better than all you guys when it comes to his physicality as a tight end. That is Ron Rivera challenging his other tight ends, in my opinion. But still, for Ron to say that about Reyes, that is a major credit to Reyes. Here was Ron at his post-training camp practice press conference on Sunday on what makes Reyes physical. I think this is his overall body makeup, chemistry. Um, he's uh, a little bit of a bull in a china shop right now because he hasn't quite learned to, to, to focus his energy. But when he does, he's very powerful. He plays with good leverage. He's got good core strength. That's, a, that's another thing that a lot of guys, you know, if they have good core strength, body control, um, they can be very powerful, and, and he is. What about the tight end who we thought might be Washington's best blocking tight end for this coming season, and he may end up being Washington's best blocking tight end for this coming season? John Bates, uh, Ron on Friday on how Bates did at the Pats. Um, I like what he did. I, uh, I, I thought he blocked well for the most part. Um, there was a couple where he, he, uh, his, his angles could have been better. His, his hand placement could have been better. Uh, I like to see him drive his feet, continue to drive his feet. Um, but he put himself in, in place to be, uh, to, to, to be an asset to the quarterback in certain passing situations. So, you know, again, he's a young guy is learning. It was good to see him get out there and, uh, and get his first real shot. Yeah, Washington took Bates at a Boise State in the fourth round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Bates, among tight ends in the 2021 draft for Pro Football Focus, was both the number two run blocker and number two pass blocker. Another rookie who came up during Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference on Friday, Samuel Cosme. So Cosme played on the second most Washington offensive snaps in the game 
at 51%. He received the best grade for pro football focus of any Washington offensive lineman in the game at 81.8. Ron on Friday on Cosme's performance at the Pats. Um, the biggest thing I really liked about how he played was was really his 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 hand placement and foot movement. You know, it's really important you get your hands where you need to have them. Uh, even more so important to me that your 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 footwork is good and it's proper. Uh, you know, he's done a nice job. He communicates very well with the, with, with with the guards. He really does. You you, you watch him, and and you see him with Brandon Scherf. You see him with Wes Schweitzer. Um, you know, uh, on on his left side. And you you see that synergy that, that you're looking for with those guys. So so you 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 can feel really confident, comfortable he's gonna get the job done. Yeah, every indication continues to be that Samuel Cosme will be Washington's starting right tackle come week one. The right tackle competition doesn't seem to be very much of a competition. Samuel Cosme more and more seems entrenched as Washington's week one RT one. Now, I said that Cosme played on the second most Washington offensive snaps in the preseason opening loss at the Pats at 51%. Another offensive lineman, Sadiq Charles, played on the most Washington offensive snaps. Sadiq played on a team high 52% of Washington's offensive snaps. Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Uh, Washington is still trying to figure that out. He is, to me, the wild card with Washington's offensive line. Sadiq is talented enough to eventually push for a starting spot somewhere on the line. Ron on Friday on how Sadiq fared at the Pats. I think he fared very well. He really did. It's funny, sometimes in, in, in practices, sometimes in one-on-one drills, guys just don't flash um, as much as you would like them to. Um, Sadiq has been a little bit of that. He's flashed and he's shown us what he can do, and then other days he's had bad days. But last night, I can say he, he for the most part, I, I would say probably four out of every five snaps, you were very, very pleased. And then every now and then something came up that I would sit there and go, oh, come on, move your feet or a better hand placement. So very pleased with uh, with his progress. I mean, uh, the coaches have done a really nice job. His teammates have been working with him, and he's practicing pretty doggone well, too. So I was happy to see what Sadiq did. All right, now, a guy who didn't have a great game at the Pats was Jamin Davis. Jamin Davis actually had the second worst overall grade for pro football focus of any Washington defensive player in the game at 31.5. Remember, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Now, look, all of this is relative. I mean, Jamin only played on 34% of Washington's defensive snaps in the game, but he at times did look tentative. Uh, looked like he was thinking too much. Look, Jamin Davis does have a lot on his plate. This is a guy who was a starter for one season at Kentucky. Now, as a rookie, is being positioned to be Washington starting Mike Linebacker, the quarterback of the defense. Ron on Friday agreed that Jamin on Thursday night did seem to be thinking too much at times and was asked how to measure progress for Jamin, given all that's being asked of him. Um, when you can tell he's not thinking and just reacting. Um, you know, as we watch it, you're right. You do see him because he may he may get some action, and the action's going this way, and he's taking a step over here. And you're, you're wondering, well, what's holding him to stay there? Is he overthinking that he knows he's got this backside cutback, but the play's going frontside, and he's already thinking about that too soon? That play goes that way; it's natural. I take my step, I work it. If he does cut back, then I I plant, redirect, and get myself into another direction. Um, and that stuff will come second nature the more he practices. You know, we talked about it last year with some of our guys. Is 5,000 reps. It's going to take a while to build up this 
this uh, this field, the second nature for what's happening, what's going on on the field. Something else that came up during Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference on Friday was Duran Payne not recovering a loose football on what was a possible fumble, but actually wasn't a fumble. So the defensive play of the game for Washington at the Pats and the play that has gotten a ton of run on social media is Chase Young on the Pats' first offensive drive, abusing the Pats' left tackle Isaiah Wynn and blasting Cam Newton for what looked like a sack strip, but ultimately was a third and eight shotgunning completion. That's the thing. People seem to think that this play was a sack strip. The play was not a sack strip. The play officially was an incompletion. The ruling was that Cam was in the process of throwing the football. And so all of this angst over Deron Payne failing to recover the football is a bit overblown because there was no fumble to be recovered. But this was Ron on Friday on this issue of Deron not having grabbed a hold of the football. Well, getting to take away something we work on daily, whether it's stripping the ball, whether it's picking up the ball, whether it's intercepting the ball. And we stress, especially with when you're when you're when you're trying to scoop and score or pick up a fumble or recover a fumble, you know, we we call it city and country. If you're in the city and it's crowded and there's a lot of bodies around it, just fall on it. Uh, if you're out in the country, out in space, and the ball's bouncing around, there's not a lot of people. We want you to try and scoop and score. So it's something we work about. It's something we talk about. And here the coaches talk about it on the on the, on the field. In fact, when they got to the sidelines, uh, a couple of the D linemen were kind of harping on Duran that you know, you know, they were saying, you know, buddy man, you were in the city, man, you got to fall on that, uh, you know, and and it's just way too crowded. You were in the subway, you know. They 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 kind of got on just trying to get him to relate that, dude. You've got to be smart about it and understand. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard because they want to make great plays. So they really do, which is good. You want them to make great plays, but you also want them to understand there's a time and a place and a feel for it. All right, so city and country. That's how you decide whether you should just fall on a football or try for a scoop and score. By the way, Chase Young had the best overall grade for pro football focus of any Washington defensive player in the game at 88 Point two, and we'll end with a major positive for Washington at the Pats on Thursday night, the punt return game. DeAndre Carter had a first quarter 18-yard punt return and a second quarter 20-yard punt return. I do think that DeAndre Carter will make the season opening roster as Washington's primary punt return man. Dax Milne had a third quarter 19-yard punt return. I thought Dax had a pretty good game on Thursday night. Washington took him with its third seventh round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. Ron Rivera on Friday on Washington's return game in the preseason opening loss at the Pats. Very excited with, with what DeAndre Carter did show us. Uh, excited about what Dax Millen did. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a solid young football player, uh, Dax, and, um, you know, he, he's a guy that's caught our attention. Uh, DeAndre's done a nice job for us as well. So uh, we have a good good combination of guys. You know, we, we want to see uh, – Jared Patterson get a couple of tries as well. Um, Steven Sims. I mean, we are in a position right now that I think we're going to find a couple of really good returners for us as we go into this season. And interesting to hear Ron bring up Jarrett Patterson as a possibility on returns. Jarrett looks so good as a ball carrier and as a pass catcher on Thursday night. Why not try him out on returns? Washington, as I have noted, has been terrible on punt returns over the last four seasons. 25th or worse in the NFL in yards per punt return in each of the last four regular seasons. Got to improve on that.
All right, so we all thought that 2020 was the worst year ever for everyone and everything. Well, when it comes to the Nationals, 2021 has said, hold my beer. An awful 2021 for the Nats now is even more awful, as Joe Ross now may need a second Tommy John surgery. Yeah, you heard that right. Joe Ross, all of a sudden, may need a second surgery. Tommy John surgery. As Mama Evans said in the classic scene in the classic television show, Good Times. Down, down, down. <laughs> yes, exactly, Mama Evans. So before we get to Joe Ross, uh, the Nats got swept again over the weekend, got swept in three games against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. A 4 2 loss on Friday night, a 12 2 loss on Saturday evening, and a 6-5 loss on Sunday afternoon. The Nats got dominated in vile and inhumane ways by Dansby Swanson. Swanson in the series, 7 for 14, with four homers, three singles, and nine RBI. The Nats now have a seven-game losing streak. The Nats now are 10-30 and 30 since the start of July, and since winning 14-17, to get to 40 and 38. The Nats now are 50 and 68, 18 games below 500. The Nats had not been 18 games below 500 since October 2010. And the Nats now have a National League East worst run differential of minus 57. But as I have said, the things to really focus on over the course of the rest of this season for the Nationals are individual player performances, not the outcomes of games. Because if you're going to be all invested in the outcomes of these games, you're going to be disappointed. The Nats were a bad team before the sell-off. The Nats are an even worse team since the sell-off. The biggest item from the Nats' latest no-good, terrible weekend is this news that we got on Sunday morning. Joe Ross may need another Tommy John surgery. The Nats on Sunday morning placed Ross on the 10-day injured list with a partial tear of his right UCL. Davey Martinez in his pregame press conference said that Ross might need a second Tommy John surgery. Here was Davey. Joe, yesterday uh, after his bullpen reported that he had some right form tightness, he was evaluated by Dr. Nigerian and his exam was consistent with a flexor pronator strain uh, with that being said, we sent him for an MRI due to his past um, history. Uh, we got the MRI back, and it showed a partial tear of his UCL. So Joe is going to get reevaluated by Dr. Meister again. Um, but, I, you know, I talked to Joe this morning. Um, I just want you guys to be clear that this is, you know, he's going to see that. We don't know, the, you know, the end result. He's going to go see Dr. Meister. Um, this doesn't mean, you know, right now that he's going to have to have Tommy John surgery. So we just we want to make sure that he goes to see the doctor that did his first surgery and then uh, get the results. And then after that, we'll figure we'll determine what kind of treatment or prognosis uh, will happen. So I talked to Joe uh, this morning for quite a while. He's down. We're all down. Uh, but we hope the best, you know, comes out of this. And we will, I don't want to make any assumptions until he goes and sees Dr. Meister and uh, we get a re- report from him as well. All right. I mean, just horrendous news. You know, I suppose you could say, well, at least it's not a guarantee 
that Joe Ross will need a second Tommy John surgery, and that is true. But if you've been a baseball fan for any substantial length of time, you know that when it is said that a pitcher may need Tommy John surgery, he almost always ends up getting the Tommy John surgery at some point. And for Ross, this would be a second Tommy John surgery. It's one thing to have one Tommy John surgery. Plenty of guys come back from one Tommy John surgery. Not nearly as many guys have success after a second Tommy John surgery. And look, it's not that Joe Ross is an ace. He isn't. It's not even that Joe Ross is having a great 2021 season. He isn't. But he is a viable number five, maybe even number four starter. And what now has happened to him is just the latest in a long line of terrible occurrences for the Nationals rotation this season. I mean, the only guy who had anything close to a good season was Max Scherzer, but he got traded, so him being good was mitigated by the trade. Steven Strasburg made five starts this season, then underwent surgery for maybe the single worst thing a pitcher can have in terms of a pitcher injury, thoracic outlet syndrome, and now Strasburg may never be the same again. Patrick Corbin has the single worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors, more on him shortly. Eric Fetty has gone from looking like he was blossoming to currently having a 5.12 ERA. John Lester had a 5.02 ERA for the Nats and was traded. Paolo Espino's carriage has turned back into a pumpkin. More on him in a bit. No national starting pitcher is having a good season. The collapse of the Nats this season is about many things, but principal among them may well be the complete implosion of the rotation. The national success since the start of the 2012 season has been predicated on the rotation. The Nationals have been a starting pitching dependent team for years, and the starting pitching has come tumbling down this year in a big time way. And I feel for Joe Ross. I do. This has to be very difficult for him. I mean, you heard Davey say it. Joe Ross is down. We're all down. Uh, You know, Ross now has a lengthy injury history. And this is a guy who, remember, was good for the Nats. He was a promising young pitcher for the Nats not that long ago. Joe Ross was good in 2015 and 2016, but he has struggled with inconsistency and injury ever since. And to that point of injury, Ross in 2016 missed more than two months due to right shoulder inflammation. Ross in July 2017 underwent Tommy John surgery. Ross in September 2019 missed about three weeks due to forearm soreness. Ross spent a good chunk of this past July on the 10-day injured list due to right elbow inflammation. And doesn't that injury now take on a whole new meaning with the news that broke on Sunday? Uh, Here's the other thing, too. You know, Joe Ross has been wildly inconsistent this season. 20 games, 19 starts, ERA of 417. He has had six outings in which he has allowed at least four earned runs. He has had seven starts in which he has allowed zero earned runs. He has had 12 starts in which he has allowed two earned runs or less. I've said it with Joe Ross. It's feast or famine. He's either been great or really bad. And maybe now we have a better understanding for why. The guy hasn't been entirely healthy. Just hated to see that news when it broke on Sunday that Joe Ross may need a second Tommy John surgery. Now, I mentioned Patrick Corbin. Boy, was he terrible again over the weekend. Corbin in the Nats 12-2 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Saturday evening. Six runs in four and two-thirds innings. 
He gave up seven hits, a homer, a triple, and five singles. He issued two walks. He did have five strikeouts, but he threw 97 pitches in four and two-thirds innings. And here's the bottom line now for Patrick Corbin. He has an ERA over 23 starts this season of 6-0-4. That is the worst ERA in the majors among qualified pitchers. Yeah, the worst. 6-0-4 ERA on the year. His whip is at 144. He is allowing a career-worst 1.99 home runs per nine innings. Patrick Corbin's season has been an unmitigated disaster, and it keeps getting worse, not better. And this is year three of a six-year, $140 million contract. You know, it's not just the Steven Strasburg contract that looks like a debacle right now. Seven years, $245 million. This is year two of that deal. The Corbin contract looks like an albatross all of a sudden. Again, year three of a six-year $140 million deal. He was very good in 2019. He was a World Series hero in 2019, but he was bad in 2020. And he now has, again, the worst ERA in the majors among qualified pitchers at 604. Paolo Espino got shelled on Sunday. Now, look, Paolo is not Strasburg or Corbin in terms of contract here, but, you know, Paolo had been a nice surprise for the Nationals this season. Paolo had been a feel-good story for the Nats this season. That has unraveled over the last month and a half. Paolo in the Nats 6-5 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. Five runs in four innings. He gave up eight hits, three homers, a double, and four singles. He issued two walks. He had three strikeouts. Uh, look, Paolo, I mean, I suppose we should say, hey, it should have never been this good to begin with. But Paolo in an 8-4 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park on June 28th in a makeup game, tossed five scoreless innings in a spot start. And that was the peak of Paolo. He was never better than in that game and at that point in this season. Paolo exited that game with a 2-0-2 ERA and a 0-8-7 whip in 35 and two-thirds innings over 18 games, including three starts this season. Just stunningly great numbers for a guy who had been taken by the Cleveland Indians in the 10th round of the 2006 MLB draft and is in his age 34 season. I mean, Paolo Espino was never supposed to pitch for the Nationals at the major league level this season. That he had the success that he had really was something else. But Paolo, since that game, since that spot start against the Mets, has not been good. Nine games, including eight starts, ERA of 631 during that stretch, 25 earned runs in 35 and two-thirds innings. It just feels right now, from a pitching standpoint, like nothing is going the Nationals' way, with the exception of one man. And amidst the darkness is a shining light. And all you can hope is that the light continues to shine brighter and brighter, and that this guy kills it for the Nats in the years to come. Josiah Gray, he was impressive again over the weekend. And as you're looking for things to cling to right now as a Nationals fan, you know, if you're a Nationals fan, you feel like you're drowning in the Atlantic Ocean. So you need something to grab onto. You need a life raft of some sort. Well, Josiah Gray, for the moment, is your life raft, at least from a pitching standpoint. So Gray in the 4-2 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Friday night did allow three runs in six innings. And the three runs did come 
on three solo homers. So he was not perfect, but he also had six strikeouts versus no walks. And I thought overall pitched pretty well. Now, I know you can't just dismiss the homers. I get that. But Max Scherzer used to do this where he would give up some homers, but it felt like all of them were solo homers. So the homers weren't as big of a deal as they could have been. And Max, of course, always had the great strikeout to walk ratio. Well, Josiah Gray had that on Friday night. Six strikeouts versus no walks. And while I will admit to you that the sample size is small, Josiah Gray now, over 24 major league innings, has 31 strikeouts. That's really good. 31 strikeouts in 24 major league innings. That's 11.6 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, he has given up a lot of homers. He's allowed nine homers in 24 major league innings. In fact, Gray has allowed as many homers as he has allowed walks. Nine homers allowed, nine walks allowed in 24 major league innings. But Josiah Gray, to me, overall, is looking the part of a potential ace or at the very least potential really good number two starter in the Nats rotation. This was Gray's third start for the Nats. He's been impressive to varying degrees in each outing. 7-5 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on August 2nd. One run in five innings, though he only had two strikeouts. 3-2 win at the Atlanta Braves on August 7th. Two runs, just one earned in five innings. 10 strikeouts. And now what he did in this 4-2 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Friday night. Three runs in six innings on three solo homers, but also six strikeouts versus no walks. Josiah Gray, the catcher, Cabert Ruiz, the two prize pickups among the four prospects who the Nats got back from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the trading away of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in that deal that was finalized on July 31st. And speaking of that trade... It was interesting to me that Gray's third start for the Nats here came on a day, Friday, on which the Washington Post reported that Trey Turner had, in fact, wanted Francisco Lindor money. This is something I have suspected. This is something I have talked about. And sure enough, this was the case. Read the article written by Nats insider Jesse Doherty and national MLB reporter Chelsea Janes, quote, The Mets gave Francisco Lindor 10 years and $341 million. To Turner, the landscape had changed, something that was communicated to the Nationals and others. The Nationals didn't make another offer, according to multiple people familiar with the situation, end quote. So this has been the thing, right? That the Nats had not made another contract offer to Trey Turner in more than a year, the last reported offer had been in the neighborhood of a six-year, $100 million deal, which was never going to be enough to get a deal done. The Nationals, to me, clearly decided they didn't want to pay Trey Turner what it was going to take to keep Trey Turner long-term. And I get it. I understand it. Because if it was going to take Lindor money, as I suspected and as now the Washington Post has reported, I'm sorry, I'm not giving that to Trey Turner. I'm not certain that Lindor is worthy of Lindor money. Look up Francisco Lindor's numbers over the last two seasons. You tell me if he's worth 10 years, $341 million. Next season is Trey Turner's final season of team control. It is his age 29 season. His first free agent season is his age 30 season. Do you want to give this guy $341 million or something close to that 
as he's going into his 30s with all of these mega money contracts in baseball for guys in their 30s having been flops. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. This narrative that's out there that the learners are cheap for not having wanted to pay Trey Turner the money that was necessary to keep him. No, uh, I would say the learners are smart, okay? And I'm not some big you know, defender of the learners, okay? I've killed them for various things over the years. But to call them cheap is unfair. The Nationals are top 10 in payroll basically every year. The Nationals have given out plenty of 100 plus million dollar contracts. Enough is enough with this thing of teams continually just getting jobbed by these massive money deals for guys in their 30s. These deals almost always don't work out. So I don't blame the Nats for this. And now that the Post has reported that Turner did want Lindor money, I think you as a Nats fan should feel even better about this trade of Trey Turner and Max Scherzer to the Dodgers for four prospects, including Josiah Gray, who again, so far over 24 major league innings, has 31 strikeouts. Uh, A few other thoughts on the Nats' three-game sweep to the Braves at Nationals Park. So Juan Soto did have a good series, although he didn't homer. And we're back now to Juan Soto being in another one of these homerless funks. So Soto was the Nats' starting right fielder and number three batter in all three games in the series. He went three for nine with a double, two singles, and three walks. But he also went homerless, uh, leaving him with one home run in the month of August. Now, he's not getting a ton of pitches to hit. And he is still having a 300, 400, 500 season. So this is not me complaining about Juan Soto. This is more me just noting Juan Soto and what he's up to. Batting average is at 302. On base percentage is at 437. Slugging percentage is at 506. He did strike out in a big spot in the 6-5 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. Struck out on five pitches with Lane Thomas on first, one out, and the Nats trailing 6-5 in the bottom of the ninth. I like the series that Victor Robles had against the Braves. He was the Nats starting center fielder and number one batter in all three games in the series. And Davey Martinez should continue to have Victor as the Nats starting center fielder and leadoff batter in every game here. This is a big-time evaluation period for Victor Robles the remainder of this season. Victor in the series went 5 for 14 with two doubles and three singles. Now, he did have a major defensive boo-boo in the series, and it's not often we say that. Victor Robles has been a good defender this year, but in the 12-2 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Saturday evening, uh, Victor in the Braves' two-run third misjudged the ball on Ozzie Albies's one-out RBI triple. The ball went over Robles's head due to him initially coming in on the ball, and then Robles actually had trouble picking up the ball. So, you know, these things are going to happen over the course of a season, but uh, that did stand out just because we're not used to Victor struggling defensively, but he did hit well in the series, including hitting well in the 6-5 loss of the Braves at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. Victor, two for five with a double and an RBI single. He had a one-out RBI single to left field on a 1-2 pitch in the Nats' three-run third, and he had a two-out ground rule double to the left center field gap on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the sixth inning. Carter Keboom was the Nats' starting third baseman in all three games in the series. Did not do well offensively in games one and two, but did do well in game three on Sunday. Two for five with a two-run single and another single. He had a leadoff single to left field in the bottom of the fourth. He had a two-out, two-run opposite field single to right field on a one-two pitch in the bottom of the fifth. And he made a hard hit out 
to end the game. I mean, this was a classic just bad luck moment. Uh, Carter Keyboom with the Braves playing no doubles defense hit a ball really hard, but the Braves third baseman, Austin Riley, made a terrific backhanded snag of the ball on what ended up being a Keyboom ground out with runners on first and second and two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning. Luis Garcia, another part of the youth movement. He was an at starting second baseman in games one and two. He was an at starting shortstop in game three. Two for three with two singles in game one. One for two with a single and two walks in game three. And I mentioned Lane Thomas. He made his Nats debut on Sunday. So the Nats on Sunday morning as the corresponding roster move to putting Joe Ross on the 10-day I.L., recalled Lane Thomas from AAA Rochester. Lane Thomas is the guy who the Nats got back from the St. Louis Cardinals in the John Lester trade as Mike Rizzo and maybe his ultimate ninja move got a team to give up something for John Lester, who at the time of the trade on July 30th had a 502 ERA and 159 whip over 16 starts this season. Uh, Lane Thomas, look, there are some knocks on him as a prospect, but uh, Thomas was the Nats starting left fielder and number two batter in the 6-5 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. And he did well, uh, two for four with two singles and a walk. Uh, he in the bottom of the first had a one-out full count single to left field, despite having been down in the count of 1.02. Now, he did get picked off and caught stealing second base for the final out of the inning. But Thomas also had a one-out opposite field single to right field on a 1-2 pitch in the Nats three-run third. And Thomas drew a one-out five-pitch walk in the bottom of the ninth inning. I actually thought the Nats bullpen was pretty good in two of the three games. The only game in which the Nats bullpen was bad was that 12-2 loss on Saturday evening. And that was an ugly game, okay? That was a game that really felt like a low point of this national season. Although I fear there may be many more low points coming. But uh, Javi Guerra in that game, three runs in one and two thirds innings. Jeffrey Rodriguez in that game, three runs in two innings. But otherwise, that's bullpen was actually pretty good in this series. 4-2 loss on Friday night. Mason Thompson and Andres Machado combined to allow one run in three innings. Ryan Harper in that 12-2 loss on Saturday night faced two batters and got the final two outs in a Braves three-run seventh. And in the 6-5 loss on Sunday afternoon, five Nats relievers combined to allow one run in five innings. Gabe Klobositz allowed one run in one inning, but Andres Machado, perfect top of the sixth. Mason Thompson, scoreless top of the seventh. Ryan Harper, a perfect top of the eighth to lower his ERA to 0.79. Why we have not seen more of Ryan Harper, I don't understand. And then Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect top of the ninth. But yeah, this has been a terrible season for the Nationals. The news keeps getting worse and worse from a pitching standpoint, especially, and the losing continues. You cannot get around that. This is a bad Nats team just trying to finish out the year. The problem is we're not really that close to the end of the season. We still have about a month and a half left until the end of the regular season. The last day of the MLB regular season is October 3rd. Uh, We have a ways to go until we get there. No game for the Nats on Monday. They this week have a two-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays at Nationals Park. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05. Eric Fetty will start for the Nats. And game two, Wednesday afternoon at 4.05, Josiah Gray will start for the Nats. That's something to look forward to. All right, uh, let us talk some Wizards. I said, let's talk some Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Thank you. Uh, So the Wizards general manager, Tommy Shepard, he spoke to reporters 
via press conference on Friday. The most notable thing that Tommy said was he confirmed that the Wizards had not planned on trading Russell Westbrook. So the biggest move for the Wizards this offseason, obviously, has been the five-team trade. The Wizards now, two Friday nights ago, officially announced a five-team mega deal with the Los Angeles Lakers, Brooklyn Nets, San Antonio Spurs, and Indiana Pacers. The Wizards in the five-team trade got Spencer Dinwiddie in a sign-and-trade with the Nets. The Wizards also in the five-team trade sent Russell Westbrook and 2023, 2024, and 2028 second-round draft picks to the Lakers for Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma. We had known that Russell Westbrook had asked to be traded to the Lakers. If you caught my conversation with Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington last week on episode 119 of the podcast, you know that Chase believes that the Wizards had not really wanted to trade Westbrook. Here's what Tommy said on Friday. We always got to do what's best for the Wizards, and that that was a very, very unusual circumstance where, you know, the day before the draft, just kind of some spitballing some ideas and, and getting some input, and, you know, had a heart to heart with Russell. And, you know, if something, it was important to him that, that I knew and that the Wizards knew he wants to play here. If there's ever an opportunity with the Lakers, that'd be the one place. And, you know, I look at his Hall of Fame career and all he did for us. And certainly it'd be, for me, I'll try to help a guy as long as it helps the Wizards. And in this case, we could do a deal, and it did help the Wizards. If that deal didn't go through, Russ would still be playing for us, and we'd all be happy. If that opportunity presented itself. It was a great deal for both sides, and I think it made a lot of sense for both of us. And I wish him the very best. You know, He's so amazing. Uh, but for us, we were really excited about what we received in that deal. And it, it was you know, a couple of days there. It was like passing a kidney stone, but we finally got it done. And, and I think it you know, a very – very beneficial for both sides. All right. So according to Tommy, Westbrook said that the Lakers were the only team that he preferred to play for over the Wizards. And that's why the Wizards did the deal. Although Tommy made it clear that the deal would not have been made had it not been beneficial to the Wizards. Three things. Number one, it does still irk me that Lakers players apparently tampered with Westbrook and that this is allowed. NBA insider Mark Stein, two Saturday afternoons ago, tweeted, quote, players huddling like Russ, LeBron, and AD did before the Laker-Wiz trade does not typically lead to NBA intervention because the league says it can't police player-to-player discussion, end quote. So the obvious implication there is that LeBron James and Anthony Davis of the Lakers recruited Russell Westbrook to ask to be traded to the Lakers while he was still on the Wizards. The Wizards weren't looking to trade Westbrook. So how is this fair to them? Put aside whether the Wizards might be better off having traded Westbrook. Why should they have been put in a position of trading Westbrook thanks to tampering from the Lakers' top two stars? That's not right. Why is tampering engineered by players just accepted in the NBA? Why is it just accepted in the NBA that players can tamper, but teams can't, especially when you consider that teams can just tell their players to tamper with players who the teams want. The whole thing is absurd to me. Uh, Point number two, there are major positives to the Wizards having traded Westbrook. A, the Wizards got much deeper. B, the Wizards now are set up to have a salary cap flexibility that the team hasn't had in years. C, 
Tommy Shepard ultimately did some job with the Albatross that was the John Wall Supermax contract extension. Shepard ultimately essentially turned Wall and a protected first round pick into one season of Russell Westbrook and Spencer Dinwiddie, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Aaron Holiday, and Isaiah Todd. That's pretty good. And then point number three, even with all of this, I'm still not sure if the Wizards are appreciably better than they were last season. I don't see how anybody can be sure that the Wizards are appreciably better than they were last season. And we still don't have clarity on where things stand with Bradley Beal, as the Wizards pretty clearly aren't trading him this offseason. They're going to offer him another extension when they can in October. Tommy has said that now multiple times. But we have no sense if Beal will definitely accept the extension, as of course he can opt out of his current max contract next offseason. So at the end of the day, the Wizards may well be spinning their wheels and just delaying the inevitable all-out rebuild. We'll see. Hopefully, Tommy Shepard knows a whole lot more than we know, and what he knows is affirmation of the current path that the Wizards are on. One other thing from Tommy Shepard on Friday, he gave us an update on where we stand with Spencer Dinwiddie and Thomas Bryant as each guy comes back from a partially torn ACL. Dinwiddie suffered a season-ending partially torn right ACL last December 27th. Bryant suffered a season-ending partially torn left ACL last January 9th. Tommy on Friday on whether Dinwiddie and Bryant will be ready for Wizards training camp. Well, certainly with Spencer, but we're going to take our time with both guys and make sure it's not about a a date on the calendar. It's when they're 100% healthy. I think Spencer is further ahead uh, than Thomas, but I think with Thomas, we're going to make sure 100% that he's healthy. Training camp is difficult to miss, but it's critical if you're not available to go through it, then certainly we got to maximize the time. It's rehab time and everything. I don't have a calendar in front of me. I know they're both progressing as they should. Uh, Spencer was out here working out, looked great. He's going to progress to two on two, three on three, you know, and we'll, we'll measure it as we go through September. Thomas is running. He's out on the court um, doing what he's supposed to do. So our measurables right now, they're on track to be available. Um, I, I can't see Thomas necessarily being in our first game and we'll measure it as we go along, but I'm really pleased with their progress. And I can't say enough about our medical staff and their help uh, tracking these guys and making sure, especially with Spencer, Spencer getting integrated right away. Uh, we had a great conversation, a great kickoff to our, uh, the way we're going to attack his rehab as we get to the season. And our medical staff is really, they're fantastic. And it's going to be pretty seamless integration, I believe to, to get him going. All right, so Dinwiddie is tracking well. Bryant, not as much. NBA training camps can begin on September 28th. The next NBA regular season will begin on October 19th. You know, Thomas Bryant is young. Uh, This coming season will be just his age 24 season, but this coming season also will be a contract season for him. The Wizards in July 2019 re-signed Bryant to a three-year, $25 million contract. So this coming season is the final season of that contract. A big season for Thomas Bryant. Well, I noted on Friday's show that the upcoming stretch for the Orioles may well could take what was already a bad run and make it much, much worse. And we are off to quite a start in that regard. The Orioles are in the midst of a seven-game road trip at the top two teams 
in the American League East. A three-game series at the Boston Red Sox, followed by a four-game series at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays. And if the first series is any indication of the next series, hide the women and children if you're an Orioles fan. The O's got swept in three games at the Red Sox over the weekend in a brutal way. An 8-1 loss on Friday night, a 16-2 loss on Saturday, and a 6-2 loss on Sunday afternoon. The Orioles, over the course of the three-game sweep, got outscored 35. And how about this now? The Orioles now have an 11-game losing streak, during which the O's have been outscored 104-34. Let me repeat that. 11-game losing streak for the O's, during which they have been outscored 104-34, outscored by 70 runs over an 11-game stretch. As former Washington head coach Steve Spurrier once said, Not very good. No, it's not. No, it's not. The Orioles now are an American League worst 38-78. and 78. Yes, 40 games below 500. The Orioles now have a major league worst run differential of minus 201. The O's have been outscored this season by 201 runs. The Orioles are atrocious. I'm not breaking news and telling you that, but it's worth crystallizing the extent to which the Orioles are atrocious. And I am all in on this being the path. I have said this many times. The Orioles are a rebuilding and tanking team. This is what the O's had to do. And while there's no guarantee that this will work, I do believe that this is the best course of action. But it is rough, man. It is very rough. I get that completely. And oh yeah, next up is that four-game series at the American League-leading Tampa Bay Rays Monday through Thursday. So there's not a lot to say about this three-game sweep at the Red Sox. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. The offense was terrible. The pitching was atrocious. If there's one thing that really does bother me about this Orioles season, it's how bad the pitching has been. And whereas at least you do have multiple potential building blocks from a position player standpoint, you don't know what to think right now about the Orioles from a pitching standpoint. It is rather frightening how these pitchers have looked this season. And while that doesn't mean that all of these guys are lost causes, uh, it does mean that at least right now, you don't have much to be excited about when it comes to those who have pitched for the Orioles at the major league level this season. And then when you consider something like the D.L. Hall injury situation, him likely to miss the rest of the season due to a stress reaction in his left elbow, even one of your top pitching prospects is far from a guarantee to end up working out. Keegan Aiken was the Orioles starting pitcher in the 6-2 loss at the Red Sox on Sunday afternoon. He gave up three runs in four innings. He gave up all three runs in the bottom of the first on a two-out three-run homer by J.D. Martinez. Aiken did then toss three into third scoreless innings to conclude his outing, but three runs in four innings, and that, my friends, was the best start by an Orioles pitcher over the course of the three-game series. That tells you everything you need to know. Keegan Aiken has been a major disappointment this year. 17 games, including 10 starts. He has an ERA of 813. 
Jorge Lopez was the Orioles' starting pitcher in the 16-2 loss at the Red Sox on Saturday. Now, he had done pretty well in each of his previous two starts. He did not do well in this outing. Seven runs in three and a third innings. He gave up nine hits, a homer, three doubles, and five singles. He issued two walks, two hit-by-pitches, and two wild pitches. He had just one strikeout. Lopez now, over 24 starts this season, has a 6.14 ERA and a 1.65 whip. I have noted the personal circumstance for Jorge Lopez. He, in a post-game press conference on July 17th, revealed that he had gone on the bereavement list due to his son having received a bone marrow transplant as his son was undergoing chemotherapy. So I'm not going to sit here and crush Jorge Lopez, but he's not having a good season. And then Spencer Watkins, a guy who had been doing surprisingly well uh, doing well, he ain't no more. He struggled for a fourth consecutive start in the 8-1 loss at the Red Sox on Friday night. Six runs in four innings. And how about this? He incredibly threw 44 strikes versus 43 balls on 87 pitches. Do you know how rare that is? I mean, most pitchers throw, if not two strikes for every one ball, then at least like, I don't know, one and a half strikes to every one ball. So rare is the outing in which a starting pitcher has a one-to-one strikes-to-balls ratio. And yet, Spencer Watkins on Friday night over 87 pitches, 44 strikes, 43 balls. Like I said, he had been doing well. He was good for the Orioles in each of his first three major league starts, but he now has struggled in each of his last four starts. And that was not pretty what old Spencer Watkins put forth on Friday night. Not very good. Exactly. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The best coverage of the Washington football team by any show or podcast will continue on the next installment of this podcast, Tuesday show, episode 124. Spread the word to anyone you know who is looking for more or better coverage of and conversation about the Washington football team, and or is looking for more or better coverage of and conversation about the Nationals, Wizards, Capitals, Orioles. This is a movement, people. We are like an underground militia, and I appreciate you being a part of it, and I appreciate your support. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Hopkins delivers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.